If you have a Bible, if you'll turn with me to 1 Timothy chapter 6. If you don't have one, look in front of you in the pew. There should be a Bible there for you. This morning, we've, we've reached the penultimate sermon in the sermon series. We've made our way through uh, for the household, the flourishing of the household of God. There's only one more after this. Uh, I think this is number like 16 uh, of this incredible book. It's like a manual that will tell the church how it is to function. And today, as we begin, I want to say to you, carpe fidem. Carpe fidem. I, I didn't mumble. I didn't mean to say it a little differently. Maybe you've heard something different. Doug Fleming teaches Latin. He's the only one who might know what I'm talking about here. But carpe fidem. It means this. Seize the faith. Or maybe carpe vita. Seize the life. What is happening is this, is that Paul is landing the plane of this incredible letter. It's called a pastoral epistle. It's a letter written by the apostle Paul, and it's written to a young pastor by the name of Timothy. And at the time, he was in this major Roman providence named Ephesus. It was an incredible city. If you ever get a chance to go to Turkey and see Ephesus even today, it's incredible worth the journey. But as he was there, uh, there were a lot of false teachers that were there. There was some really strange doctrine that was emerging. So Paul is talking to someone that he calls his son in the faith. This is a traveling companion with Paul. This is not somebody that he kind of knows. I mean, this is Timothy. He says, this is like my true son in the faith. This is like my boy. I mean, this is like my prodigy. This is like the one that I've invested so much time into. And as he is now landing uh, the plane, he refers to Timothy in, in a really interesting uh, uh, phrase. He's going to wind up in the next sermon, he's going to call him by name Timothy again. But here he calls him, O man of God. O man of God, carpe fidem. O man of God, seize the face. So he sees the faith. As Paul concludes this amazing letter, um, he really, it's like he puts his armor on him. This is really personal stuff. I mean, this is kind of like the inside of a, of a, of a personal letter that you'll read from somebody else and say, man, these guys had a love for one another and a care for one another. Uh, and there's a lot of exhortations that Paul will give to that young Timothy. I, I picture it, it's kind of like his arm around him and saying, okay, Timothy, let me give you these things. It's kind of like famous last words. Or maybe these are words that a general might use right before uh, the, the troops head into battle. Maybe someone like Eisenhower before D-Day invasion. I mean, those, those last words before they're going to go into the conflict. Or for many of us who, who don't really know what that feels like, uh, maybe it's more like athletic terms of, of words that a coach that would use right before, as they're in the locker room, right before you're about ready to charge out on the field, right before you're about ready to go battle and, and maybe in a football game. And these, those, those last words, that little bit of pep talk that you're going to need before you go and give everything you got. Go, fight, win. I mean, these are the kind of the words that you would typically hear maybe from a general. These are the words that you might hear from a coach. Go, fight, win. Uh, these are not words that Paul uses as polite suggestions. These aren't, these aren't easy words. I mean, these aren't words that he's trying to use that are flowery encouragement with little smiley emojis, right? There's going to be no smiley emojis in this 
text of the letter. These are imperatives, strong imperatives. These aren't suggestions. Paul is telling Timothy, do these things. Uh, these are the words that are given to a warrior headed into battle. And it's a battle fighting life and death. Now, these words were given a long time ago from the pen of Paul to Timothy. But because of the incredible power of the Holy Spirit, they're given for us here at King's Chapel. These are words for you. These are words that God wants you to hear today. They're so important for us. Everyone who is here, everyone who is with us online. For you're here and you are able to say by God's grace, Jesus is Lord. This is a message that God has for you. And the message is this. We're going to look at these things. He's going to say, seize the faith. It's time to fight. Know what to run from and know what to run towards. Know who you're fighting for. Know the outcome of the fight. And of course, know the victory song and start singing it now. So we're going to look to God's word in 1 Timothy uh, chapter 6. We're going to pick up right where we left off last week, uh, starting in verse 11. We're going to make our way through 16, again, in this penultimate sermon in the sermon series we've been going through. Hear the word of the Lord. But as for you, O man of God, flee these things. Pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, steadfastness, gentleness. Fight the good fight of the faith. Take hold of the eternal life to which you were called and about which you made the good confession in the presence of many witnesses. I charge you in the presence of God who gives life to all things and of Christ Jesus who in his testimony before Pontius Pilate made the good confession to keep the commandment unstained and free from reproach until the appearing of our Lord Jesus Christ, which he will display at the proper time. He who is the blessed and only sovereign, the King of kings and the Lord of lords, who alone has immortality, who dwells in inapproachable light, whom no one has ever seen or can see, to him be honor and eternal dominion. Amen. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. Now, Father God, we thank you for these kind of like famous last words that the Apostle Paul will give to that young pastor, Timothy. And God, we thank you for how he exhorts him to seize the faith at a time like this. But God, what's amazing about your word is it wasn't just a word written for Timothy in Ephesus so long ago, but because of the empowering of your Holy Spirit, it's a word for King's Chapel today. It's a, it's a word for your people. And anyone who is here online who, who has the grace to call Jesus Lord, these are words that we need to hear. These are words that we need to marinate in. These are words that, that we need to put to use. So God, would you do that which only you could do? Would you speak through a broken sinner like me? Oh God, would you give us ears to hear your voice? Would you give us minds to understand your word? God, would you give us hearts that would embrace your truth and the gift of faith that you've given to us 
God, would you give us feet that would walk in a manner worthy of your name? The things that are said that are wrong or merely my opinion, may those things fall away and be forgotten quickly. But the things that are said that are true and contain the good news of the gospel, God, would you use those words to help us seize the faith, to seize the gospel, to make it our own. For the glory of our great God and for the good of others, we pray in Christ's name. Amen. The first thing we're going to see in this language, it's, it's like so profound, is like he's going to say, seize the faith. He's going to say again, oh man of God. I love that term. Oh man of God, it's time to act. And again, by the way, if you look through scripture, that title, man of God, it was only given to a, a few, uh, the few, the proud, the biblically, the who earned it. It was like Moses, man of God. It was like David, man of God. Elijah, man of God. And now here you have Paul putting his arm around young Timothy. He says, okay, man of God, seize the faith. One of my favorite passages in all of Scripture is found in Matthew chapter 14. And it's a story of one of my favorite characters in all of Scripture. And if you know me, you know that especially in the New Testament, the, the one character that I, I relate to the most, the one I probably love the most, the one that I share a middle name with, it's Peter. I love Peter because why? Peter is usually the first to talk and the last to think. Uh, Peter, when he gets it right, he knocks it out of the park. And when he gets it wrong, he's stumbling all over himself. I mean, Peter to me is like, I get this guy. This guy needs a big savior. This guy loves really well, but this guy could be a moron, you know? And so, so you get this incredible story coming to us in, in Matthew chapter 14. Let me give you a little background of what's happening in Matthew 14. Jesus just fed the 5,000, and he did it with this, somebody's borrowed lunch. He took a little boy's borrowed lunch, and he feeds 5,000 men and women and children as well. And afterwards, he's like, hey, fellas, I know you're fishermen. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to meet you across the sea here, get in your boat, head that way. I'm going to catch up. I'm going to hang out with my father for a little while. I'm going to go up and pray. I'm going to go up and spend some time with the Lord. Jesus always wanted to do that. I'll catch up to you. Take the boats and go. So they do. And guess what? A big storm comes up. Big storm, big enough storm that fishermen are afraid. That's a big storm, right? When the fishermen are afraid, you should be afraid because they, got, they are used to the, the, uh, the storms. But here they come, and here's what Jesus is doing. He's walking on the water, right? He's coming. He didn't need no boat. He's just going to walk out to see them. And so they see him walking on the water, and what do they think? Oh, here comes Jesus. Yeah, good news. They think, it's a ghost. And they're terrified. They're like, oh, my goodness, what in the world? A bad situation just got worse. Uh, now, they're, now they were terrified of the wind. Now they're terrified of this person walking on the water. And then you get Peter set up. Here you go. You ready? 14, verse 28. And Peter answered him, Lord, now listen to this. Listen to this. Now remember, you just see what you think is a ghost. And you're terrified. And you call out. And, and, and Jesus is going to say, hey, guys, fellas, listen, take heart. Don't be afraid. It's me. And here's Peter's response. And Peter answered him and said, Lord, if it is you, please ask the storm to stop. He doesn't say that. Lord, if it is you, bring, bring us peace that passes understanding. He doesn't say that. He says this, Lord, if it is you, command me to come to you on the water. Who does that? I mean, I, I mean just think about that. I mean, what are you thinking right there, Peter? I mean, if it's you, command me to come out to you, get out of the boat and come out to you on the water. Hey, there's a good idea, Peter. 
So he said, come. So Peter got out of the boat and walked on the water and came to Jesus. I mean, stop right there. He did it. He's out of the boat. He's walking on the water. I barefoot water ski, but it's nothing like this. I mean, he's doing it. It's fantastic. He's walking to Jesus. Jesus says, come. Yeah, come on, man. It feels like a storm. Come, I got you. So he comes. He walks on the water. And then verse 30, Peter has another Peter moment. But when he saw the wind, how do you see the wind? <laughs> he saw the wind. I guess he saw the results of the wind. He sees the white caps. He sees that everything's going crazy, right? So he sees the wind. He was afraid, and he began to sink, and he cried out, Lord, save me. Jesus immediately reached out his hand, and here's where I want I told you this whole story to get to this one word. Jesus immediately reached out his hand, and he took hold of him. He took hold of him. He seized him. He grasped him. He grabbed him to make him his own. It's, there's, there's, there's violence almost in this word. I mean, here he is thinking. He, he, he took hold of him. He absolutely seized Peter from the sea. Uh, and Jesus reached out and grabbed him and saying to him, Oh, you of little faith, why did you doubt? When they got into the boat, the wind ceased, and those in the boat worshipped him, saying, Truly you are the Son of God. We love that story. It's incredible. Well, you see, the, the, the word that Paul uses when he talks to Timothy that's translated, take hold of your faith, is the word to seize it. Seize your faith. Take hold of your faith. It could also mean, I love this, make it your own. Make your faith your own. Take hold of something. And it's in, he said, take hold of this faith. It was something he already had. So the one thing I want to show you is that Timothy had made this faith his own. I love it. If we kept reading into 2 Timothy, 2 Timothy 3, verses 14 and 15 say this about Timothy. And I so relate to him this way. It says this, But as for you, continue into what you have learned, and you become firmly believed in, knowing that whom you learned it and how from childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. Here's what it says. Listen, Timothy, you got, a, you got a woman named Lois, and you got a woman named Eunice. you got a godly mother, and you got a godly grandmother. They're amazing. And what they did for you, Timothy, is they taught you from infancy about Jesus. They taught you from the very beginning about God's Word. You grew up hearing it. And by God's grace, something happened. You came to believe. So here you have Paul telling him, seize the faith, and it's a faith that he had received by God's grace as an early age. What does he mean? He said, take hold of something you already have. And again, I'm grateful for a godly mother, a godly grandma, a Marjorie and an Esther, who I too have heard from Jesus from infancy, and I too, like Timothy, have come to firmly believe in. But it's more than that. It says that Timothy had made the good confession. What does it mean? What does it mean that Timothy had made the good confession? Well, we know that a good confession is what we see that Paul will say in Romans chapter 10, verse 9. Listen to this. If you confess, this is a good confession. If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you shall be saved. Now hit pause. You've probably heard that before. This is saying a lot. If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, you're acknowledging that he's not a lunatic or a liar. 
you're acknowledging that he is the king of kings, the Lord of lords. He is the rightful king and ruler of your heart and your life. So this is a big deal. So if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, you're confessing that, that this is God's Messiah. This is God's son. And you believe that God raised him from the dead. You're believing in the miracle that a dead man has come to life by the power of the Spirit, that your sins are truly forgiven, and that life truly reigns. Because that dead man lives, we live too. Now that is a good confession. That is what a good confession of all true believers will confess. Jesus is Lord. He's been raised from the dead. And here's, watch, watch this. And God says, if that's what's in your heart, you're in. You're saved. So... Peter, I'm sorry, Timothy grew up hearing from infancy about this faith. He came to believe it. Peter, or I got Peter on the brain, don't I? Timothy has made the good confession, made the good confession that Jesus is Lord. Uh, and yet now Paul is telling him, seize it, seize it, make it your own. Seize the faith, carpe fidem. That's why that's F-I-D-E-M. Instead of carpe diem, seize the day. Seize the faith. Why? Seize the faith because we're in a fight. Seize the faith. You've got to make it your own. It can't just be your parents. It can't just be your grandparents. You've got to grasp this. You've got to live it. Take hold of it. And let this faith take hold of everything that holds you. Everything you hold dear, may this faith grip you. Take hold of the faith. And let me tell you. Have you seized? Have you seized it? I mean, have you grasped it? I mean, have you grasped it to make it your own? To say, this, this, this defines me. This gives me life. This gives me relationship with the God who is. By God's grace through faith, I am forgiven and free. I am seizing the faith. Carpe fidem. Because as I seize the faith, I seize life and life eternally. I look at the church today and I see that many people say, yeah, I, I, I got faith. Yeah, I, I believe. Yeah, there's a God. Yeah, there's something there about it. But we haven't seized it. We haven't grabbed hold of it the way Jesus grabbed hold of Peter as he was sinking and makes it his own. Why? We seize the faith because we're in a, in a battle. Uh, seizing the faith is seizing eternal life. Uh, that is both the quantity of life, life and life abundantly, and the duration, the quality and the quantity of life. It's both the present reality. If you have embraced Christ as Lord and Savior, you have eternal life now, John 17, 3. And it's also a future hope. Why does he say seize the faith? And I'm going to start here. That's not where he started. Why? Because it's time to fight. Because you're in a good fight. And you'll never fight the fight well if you don't seize the faith. And with a Christian, the question is, is it fight or flight? It's always in your life, you know? Someone runs into you, is it fight or flight? You know, is it uh, something happens, is it fight or flight? For the Christian, there's times to fight, and there is a time for flight. For those of you who are old like me, you remember old Kenny Rogers, the gambler? You gotta know when to hold him, know when to fold him, know when to walk away, know when to run. Right? As a Christian, you got to know when to hold them. you got to know when to fold them. you know when to walk away. you got to know when to run. That is so important. But what? fight the good fight of the faith. It's the faith. Christians, we are in a battle. Do you know that? We cannot hide from the fight. The fight is at our front door. 
The fight is in our own hearts. The fight is all around us. The world that we live in and the country that we love is not the same as the grand, our grandparents. These are different times that we live in. They wouldn't recognize it. If your grandparents came back and, and turned on the news, they would say, where am I? What in the world is going on? And listen, not that the America was ever the promised land. It wasn't. And not that America was ever perfect. It isn't. But we've got to realize that Christians are in a different fight than our grandparents were. We, we are a different church today. We have a different fight because uh, today is completely different. What is the fight? Fight the good fight of the faith for the gospel. Again, it's a military term. It's an athletic term. It's a word, we get the word agonize. This, this is engage in intense struggle. Most people think of their faith thinking, hey, man, you got something wrong in your life? Hey, believe in Jesus and things are going to be a little bit better. Or, hey, you need a little insurance policy? Well, you want to do, but your heart stops beating. You don't want to be without Jesus. So make sure you get that in for what's to come. But this is saying something. Listen, seize the faith because you're in a battle today. Seize the, the, seize the faith right now because the battle's at your door. It's in your heart. It's in your church. Seize the faith right now because we're in an intense struggle. And I think one of the greatest things the enemy can help us to believe is there's no struggle. It's no big deal. You know what the enemy wants to do? Just focus on your little life and your little world and miss the whole battle that we are all in. Fight the fight. Contend for the truth. We can't be silent. I hate controversy. I, 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 am, I am guilty of being silent when I should speak. I have hurt others because I haven't stood for truth. I'm often weak and afraid and a man pleaser. But church, contend for the truth. We can't be silent. Let God's truth be seen. Let God's truth be heard. Let God's truth be, be modeled. And that's where we are right now. We got to do it. I mean, gender matters. I mean, I mean how, how, how males and females matter. I mean, marriage matters. Um, where we are with truth matters. I mean, we, we, we are in a fight. And we're going to fight for truth and fight for the faith for the gospel. And you know what? Fighting isn't enjoyable. If you like fighting, you got some issues. <laughs> Sorry. Let me tell you, if you enjoy it, I'm, I'm such a, I think i got to turn my man, man card in because I, I can't watch MMA. It's just too violent for me. They put guys in cages and they beat each other's brains in. I mean, they're like, ah, I can't see it. It's just it's too harsh. I'm a mama's boy. Turn it off. Is Lassie on. But... <laughs> Listen, as Christians, we don't pick fights. Those of you who pick fights as Christians, to make it, it's a, you got an issue because you're trying to show yourself better than others. We don't start fights, but we fight for the truth. All right? You got to know what to run from, though, or know when it's time to run. He says, he starts off with this flee. Flee these things, is what he says. Flee the, what, what things? Well, remember in verses 3 through 10, he's going to tell us some things to flee. What are we fleeing from? Strange doctrine. Um, things that are not the sound words of our Lord Jesus Christ we learned last week. Flee from what? Flee, flee from the love of money. Remember we said it doesn't say flee from money. The love of money, make it an idol. Flee from the love of money because it is a root, not only evil. It's a root of evil. Flee from it. But what else do we flee from? Well, let's look at Paul. Let's pull the picture back a little bit. It tells us to flee in verses 3 through 10, through those things. But throughout Scripture, it tells us flee from idolatry. And 1 Corinthians 10, 14 says this, Therefore, my beloved, flee from idolatry. Now, all of you are saying, thank God. 
I haven't made myself an idol in a long time. I don't have anything I bow down and worship to. Let's hit pause right there. You know what an idol is? An idol is when you took something that is an important thing and you've made it an ultimate thing. An idol is something when you take something that's a good thing and you made it an ultimate thing. An idol in your life is if I can't have this, I can't be happy. I can't have this, I can't feel good about myself. It could be money, it could be status, it could be a relationship. We, Calvin was right, our hearts are idol-making machines. We make idols all the time. Our idols are way more sophisticated than a lot of the idols in the Bible. But don't think that we're not making idols. Flee. Flee from anything you put above God. Anything. Flee from anything that takes your heart from God. Anything. Flee from sexual immorality. 1 Corinthians 6.18 says this, Flee from sexual immorality. Every other sin as a, a person commits is outside the body, but the sexual immoral person sins against his own body. And Timothy will be told by Paul in the next letter, 2 Timothy 2.22, So flee youthful passions, sexual immorality, and pursue righteousness, faith, love, peace, along with those who call on the Lord as a pure heart. Flee. Put on your PF flyers. Most of you don't know what they are. Put on your best sneakers, tennis shoes. Sometimes you got to get out of Dodge. Flee. Flee from those things that are going to take you away. Flee from threats, but don't flee, run from responsibility. Know what to run towards or know what to pursue. He says, okay, flee these things, but we got to watch this. Watch this. we got to replace our vices with virtue. One of the commentators, a guy named Riken, said that. I loved it. Replace your vices with virtue. What does he say? He's going to say, pursue these things. I'm going to give you two couplets. Pursue righteousness and godliness. Righteousness is our conduct before one another, fellow human beings. Righteousness is be upright with integrity. Pursue being upright. May your word be your word. Let your other people count on you. Treat them with dignity and respect. Love them as image bearers. Be righteous. Be godly. That's our piety before God. And we think about godliness. We've seen in this one little letter, I'm just going to give you a few. Remember the mystery of godliness in, in chapter 3, verse 16. The mystery of godliness is found in Christ Jesus, who shares with us his righteousness. We are told in chapter 4, verse 7, we're to train ourselves for godliness. Train, go into training. Work hard at it. We are told the value of godliness. That godliness has value for all things in this life and the life to come. We're told in chapter 6, verse 6, that godliness with contentment is great gain. Pursue godliness. More than a gym membership. More than your next paycheck. More than status. Pursue godliness. Righteousness, godliness. Faith and love. Run towards faith and love. Pursue faith and love. Faith. This is the faith. It's really the gospel faith. This is the power of God for salvation for everyone who believes. Walk by faith, not by sight. Trust God, not your circumstances. Faith and love. Love. Pursue love. Love for God above all things. Love for your neighbor. Pursue love. Then he also say, pursue what? Steadfastness and endurance and gentleness. Steadfastness, endurance. You know, pursue uh, perseverance in difficult times. Endure with difficult people. And then gentleness. Don't you love this, the mantra? Can't we see this? Looking for the few. Looking for the gentle. (laughs) 
become followers of Christ. But we're looking for the few gentlemen. You're like, seriously? You're in a fight? You're looking for gentlemen? Yes, this is the way of Christ Jesus. This is the way of Christianity. This is the way of our Savior. We're looking for gentlemen who know their sinfulness and their brokenness, who are quick to say, I'm sorry, who know and love repentance unto life, and who are gentle because they know how incredibly gentle God has been to sinners like us, who lead with love and mercy. Christian, it's time for us to be bold as lions. It's time for us to be gentle as lambs. It's time for us to be innocent as doves. And it's time for us to be wise as serpents. Gentleness. Know what to what pursue. Remember, know who you're fighting for. It's our Lord Jesus Christ, the blessed and only sovereign, the King of kings and the Lord of lords. That's who we're fighting for. It goes beyond just yourself. Know that Jesus has fought for you, and he fights for us. He fought for us. He fought sin and death. He took care of it. No matter what the mirror tells you, let me remind you the good news of the gospel. In Christ Jesus, that sin has been separated as far as the east is from the west. He fought for you. He fought on the cross. It was agonizing. It was the most brutal fight ever because it was with sin and death, and it included separation from his father. I mean, the fight got so ugly and he was so marred by our sins, and the cross tore him apart. But worse than any of that was the father turning from him and saying, you know, I can't even look at this. And he would cry out and say, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? That is a fight. He fought that fight, experienced that hell. Why? So that we could be brought in. So we can be loved. So we can be forgiven. So we can be free. He fought a fight that he didn't need to fight, but he fought it for us. And what does he do now? He lives to intercede for us. He's still fighting. He's still calling out your name. This is the God in heaven who loves you. He fought for us. He will never ask us to do something he himself won't do. You want to fight? Because he fought for you. Listen, get over yourself. Get over the reality of the brokenness of your life. Jesus is making it right. He's working in you. Look at, look at him. We're fighting for a king. And of our broken, pathetic lives, they're all broken and pathetic. Jesus is on our side. It's good news, right? Know who fights for you. He fought sin and death. He intercedes for us. Know the outcome of the fight. It's quite a difference entering the fight, uh, entering the fight knowing the outcome. The Talby clan had the chance to go up to that Gator Nation. What a game yesterday. It was pretty good, you know? You, know, you, you kick an extra point, and you're, you're tied at the end of the game. It's amazing. But, you know, you had to go through that game. What, what ups and downs. I mean, it looked like they were getting blown out 21-3 at one time, you know. A great comeback. Sorry. They're like, yeah, yeah, I saw it, Jeff. Quit talking about it, you know. Been there. But you ever watch a game, especially your favorite team, you ever watch the game and you taped it and you know the outcome? Oh, it's a whole different time watching, isn't it? Especially you know your team won. It's like, oh, it's fantastic. I know the outcome. I mean, in baseball, you know, you could be down in the, in the fourth inning, and you're thinking, no way, but you know the outcome. You, you know that there's a rally coming. You know that there's going to be a comeback. I mean, they might be stinking it up right now, but if you know the outcome, you can endure it, especially if you know the outcome, you win. We win. We win. Why? Because Christ Jesus wins. We know the outcome. We win this fight because why? Jesus wins. Our Lord Jesus Christ will appear in verse 14 in victory. Victory is secure. The timing is unknown. I don't know when it's going to happen. It says in the proper time, verse 15, in the proper time, it's over. 
But we're still there. What does it say? God is in control. He's sovereign. God is invincible. He's king of kings and lord of lords. God is immortal. Death can't touch him. God is inaccessible and an inaccessible light to our enemies. He wins. Christian, know the victory song. Start singing it now. Start rehearsing it. Because you're going to be singing it for all eternity. And it'll never grow boring. And you'll never, there'll never be a playlist that you'll say, I don't want to hear that anymore. The victory song is to him be honor. To him be eternal dominion. To him be glory. Because why? Our King of kings and our Lord of lords came to seek and to save us. He came to rescue us. He fought the ultimate fight. So that we can have life and life abundantly. So we can have a home with him. This is the battle. This is the fight. And now that we fight in his name, we know that victory is secure. Carpe fidem, seize the faith. Carpe vita, seize the life. Have you seized the faith? Where are you with faith? Where are you? Have you seized it? Have you grabbed hold of it and you made it your own? And if so, are you fighting the good fight? Please don't believe, believe the delusion that we're not in a battle. We are. And all hands on deck. And Paul put his arm around Timothy and says, okay, here you go, O man of God. Here you go, O church of God. Here you go, King's Chapel. Go. Go and fight this fight for the glory, but seize the faith. Faith for the glory of our God and the good of our neighbor. Amen? Let's pray. And Father God, these were strong words. Uh, these were emphatic words. These are, these are some of the greatest words that you could ever hear before a troops run into battle or before a, a team takes the field. But God, so much more importantly, it's just it's words for us to live our lives, to seize the faith. God, I, I, I know that there's got to be those watching or those here that have been around the faith that have never really seized it. Maybe it was their parents or their grandparents. Maybe they've been warmed to it. Maybe they've been even a little bit changed by it, but they never really seized it and made it their own. Oh God, I pray that everyone who calls Jesus as Lord would see the urgency of seizing the faith. Carpe fidem. Why? Because we are in a battle. And God, you want all hands on deck. We live in a dark world, and you've chosen us to be the light of the world. Go figure. We live in a broken world, and you chose us to be ministers of reconciliation. Go figure. We live in a world that is just so upside down, and you've told us to bring light into the darkness, order into the chaos, and beauty into the void. We can't do that on our own. We're just going to make a bigger mess. But empowered by the Spirit, driven by the Word, following our Savior, God, may we seize the faith and live and fight for your glory. Amen.